0: Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers. Today I'm sharing a conversation I had with Laura France. Um, if you don't know who Laura France is, I don't know. You have to go back and listen to the other episode I recorded with her, which was last, oh, I think it was the very end of 2020. But if you don't know who she is, you definitely need to listen to this, this episode, and you need to read her books, because they are really good. Um, she is a Christie Award winner and the ECPA bestselling author of 11 historical novels, including The Frontiersman's Daughter, Counting Morrow Little, The Colonel's Lady, and The Lacemaker. But today, we are going to be talking about her latest book, which is called A Heart Adrift and i will let laura tell you all about that book in a, in a, just a minute after i ask you to if you are enjoying this podcast will you please make sure that you are subscribed so that you get them delivered to your podcatcher every week and um also leave a star rating and review those are some free ways that you can support the podcast if you want to go above and beyond and support historical fiction unpacked and me and my other work in a monetary way, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Allison Treat. That's Allison with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. So check out those ways to support us. They are also linked in the show notes. And now enjoy this conversation with Laura France. Laura, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: It's always a treat to be here. Thank you, Allison.
0: Oh, no pun intended, right? Yes, yeah. thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, your your latest novel, A Heart Adrift, released January fourth. Can you tell me about this book?
1: It's um, a story of a colonial chocolatier in Virginia. Our heroine, Esme Shaw, and she is still recovering from a decade old failed love affair um she had with a privateering or sea captain hero named Henri Lenox and he um mm. you know he's as a mariner he's gone most of the time so she literally hasn't seen him for 10 years but she's quite busy making chocolate and that was fascinating to me so there you yeah. have kind of the gist of the book
0: right um so i read the book i we just talked about this before I started recording and um, I absolutely loved it. I read it a a while ago. So when I was preparing for this interview, I really enjoyed looking over my notes and and reminding myself about the story. Um, What inspired you to write this novel?
1: You know, I, when I was little, I watched a movie called um, The Ghost in Mrs. Mirror. It was about a sea captain and somehow Mm. that stuck in my little girl head. And I carried that, for 40 some years and decided, you know, I've never had a sea captain hero and there's a world of maritime history out there that I've never Mm. explored. And then I also realized that, you know, my love of chocolate too much, a love of chocolate, I'm afraid, um, inspired (sighs) me to dig into chocolate history. There's actually such a thing as chocolate historians and Mm. grab hold of that colonial American fascination with chocolate that you know really did happen, I mean George Washington and Martha Washington enjoyed it. Ben Franklin sold it out of his shop, so you know they Americans have have rich chocolate roots, so I thought that'd be fun to pair that with a you know the chocolate history with maybe the maritime history, and that's what I did, and a heart adrift,
0: yes, so interesting um so. With your novel taking place in the mid seventeen hundreds, what was going on during that time period?
1: It was then? a pretty cataclysmic time. You had the start of the French and Indian War, seventeen fifty five, mm-hmm. and that was basically the fight between the the British and and the French and their allies, the Indians, for you know Canada and other territory in the United States, which was not the United States then, but Colonial America. So you have these. Two superpowers, France and England, battling it out, and of course the, the American colonies were very much involved in that. Um, it was fought on our soil, not France and Britain's soil. So mm-hmm. you know it, it makes quite for quite a few historical fireworks as far as a novel setting. And of course, I usually stay in Virginia, if not Kentucky, for my novels. Um, I'm venturing out of that with this current novel I'm writing, but that's another story. But I just loved, I love Virginia, love the French and Indian War time period. I'm usually, you know, a lot of my books are set on the frontier, but this one is, you know, a port, Yorktown in yes. Colonial Williamsburg. So I don't, you know, I'm I'm kind of keeping to more civilized setting in this one.
0: Yes. And I hadn't read a whole lot about the French and Indian War. So I actually really enjoyed that learning about it, you know.
1: Right. There's a lot of history there that we just lost or weren't taught, I guess, in school. And yes. you have to also have somewhat of a, an interest, I think, in it. It, it. It's a treasure trove if you want to uh, research the French and Indian War. You know, there's a, a million different perspectives and um, mm. a, a lot of a lot of research to help you, which I found very very nice when I was writing this novel.
0: Yes. Um, So I'm assuming that since you have in the book, Henri takes his ship and his men and he battles the French. Mm -hmm. um, I assume England actually used colonial privateers to fight the French in this way.
1: They did. And, you know, there was no such thing, you know, that was the American colonies. There was no such thing as a Navy, for the colonies, it was just the British Navy, which was considered the superpower the Navy. But they did rely on colonial privateers, um, mm-hmm. who some thought were a little better than pirates. But privateers actually were, the best of them were highly respected. Um, and they mm-hmm. basically became the foundation for the American U.S. Navy. And, you know, it was full of men like like Henri Lennox. And kudos to you for pronouncing that. French French accent. (laughs) I
0: did take French in high school. so
1: You did. So it wasn't too much of a leap. Okay. But the maritime history is fascinating to me. There's also a lot of African Americans. They're called black jacks um, who were superb sailors. And we Mm. don't often hear about them. You know, we don't actually hear about, excuse me, much of uh, maritime history then today at all. So it's fun to keep that, to bring that kind of to the forefront in a novel.
0: Yes. And speaking of that, you, in the book, Henri employs some black seamen on his ship. And the book alludes to the fact that there was segregation in place in, at least in the town of York, because it talks about the the colored seamen's home. So what was the racial climate like at this time? And how did you kind of discover that
1: it was it was very hostile um in virginia particularly because Mm -hmm. they had they were the largest slave owning colony in you know of all the 13 colonies at that time virginians um their whole economy was based on slave labor so Mm -hmm. the fact that you have a sea captain like our hero who has a black crew and actually sunk a ship Mm -hmm. a slaving ship um after he. emancipated or freed the the slaves on board they right he would have been met with huge hostility and i tried to capture a bit of that in the novel but it was it was horrible now there were um quakers at work mostly in pennsylvania and you know further up the east coast yes but there were people who were there were the stirrings of abolition even then, and then you had William Wilberforce in England, who was an amazing kind of a dynamo for for the abolition movement um so it yes. was definitely uh it was a very hostile time there you know they had dedicated places just like they did in the sixties when I was you know in born and going to school they you know had schools for for blacks and whites, and I remember them busing um black students in to go to school with me in the seventies, it was, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it's hard to believe that that recent history, it existed so long, that kind of prejudice. And it's hard to even get a handle on that um, today because it was, you know, 200 and some years ago, but it was, it was not, um, not native American friendly, not African-American, black-friendly at all. Um, yeah. And they hated the French, too, um, <sighs> which is a whole other uh, can of worms that I'm opening now because I'm doing an Acadian novel up in Nova Scotia. And oh. it's fascinating, but some of the most heartbreaking history I've ever read. Yeah.
0: Wow. I um, I was trying to do some research on... Acadian history, right, um, right before my sister passed away, and oh, so I never got I never got back to it. <laughs> but that's so interesting. I can't wait to get back to talking more about your your next. Book I'd then. love to hear a- where
1: you're going with that too. I think it's <laughs> never enough. Um, I have a couple of fiction uh, novels for you too, if you're interested in reading it.
0: Oh yeah, fiction
1: wise, it's from a Canadian friend who um, just it was very helpful to me. So we'll have to talk about that. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll bring it up after I have a few more questions yeah. about um, a heart adrift. drift. Yeah. So I am wondering, cause this novel, as you said, it was set more in, in York, Virginia and, or around the port area, you know, York and colonial Williamsburg. Okay. So how did you, what type of research did you do to make sure you were portraying, these cities accurately well you know and even the the island and
1: right well the island was fun because it's entirely fictional you know Mm -hmm. i made that up although there are the barrier islands are beautiful and very unique so i had to you know study those islands and to get a handle on you know what what was it like was it mostly sand you know what kind of trees grew there you know what kind of flowers and you know wildlife and things like that um as far as York and Williamsburg, I, I've been there, you know, more than a few times, but York especially is fascinating to me because I think it, it's much smaller than Williamsburg. And mm-hmm. though it was a huge coastal port and a lot of the indentures in Virginia came in through York, kind of mm-hmm. like, uh, Philadelphia, it was that kind of a, wasn't as big as Philadelphia, yeah. but that was where a lot of business was transacted, a lot of imports mm-hmm. and exports out of York, um, now Yorktown. So I I always do love to research when I'm I'm on the ground, I can literally be there and live there a little while, you know, even if it's only for a few days. And then you yeah. talk to the locals, you go into the museums, and you ask their opinion about things and and if yes. there are questions as you're writing that you can't satisfy, <clears throat> you ask them, and most of the locals, especially the docents in the museums and things like that, they're very knowledgeable, and they were are more than happy to share their information.
0: Yes, I've found that too.
1: well, also, there's resources there, as you probably know too, when you go to actual historical sites there's maps and different you know materials and sources that you can't find anywhere else and mm. it's just specific to that region that area yes. and that particular history and that alone makes it worth the expense of right of traveling definitely
0: yes um and that's a a long trip for you from the west coast to the east coast <laughs> so it,
1: i know i like it much better when i was in kentucky at the cabin because i could just literally get in the car and drive over there it was more mm-hmm. than a few hours but it was much easier now it literally is coast to coast and right. um uh, i don't travel as well as i once did but you yeah. know age is is creeping up on me but i love it you know i my, my astonishment for that era and my passion for it never dims.
0: Yes. You, you keep coming back to the colonial era. So you, you must love it.
1: Well, I do. And there's also the benefit of uh, accumulated knowledge when you don't hop around. Uh, Sure. And I couldn't do that well. There's some authors who do that very well. They switch Mm -hmm. centuries and settings and time periods, but I rely on my accumulated knowledge as I call it, you know, you I actually wish I could go back and write my early novels because I, I know a lot more now that I did there. It's like you know, you want to slap a little warning sticker on those novels. The author was in pro- process, you know. Don't <laughs> take this seriously. My passion carried me then, if not my knowledge, and I'll never be a master of this century because it's just like a foreign country, as has been said. But I will always love it and uh, mm. much more than any other century.
0: Yes. It, it's so rich. There's so much material there. So.
1: Yes, definitely. An Un- unending material.
0: Right. So I I noticed a theme um, Esme, the heroine of this book, her sister Eliza was very attached to her good looks. Yes. And so I just wondered, like, what do, what what role does the theme of beauty play in this novel? You know, it's
1: huge because as I age, and I was never a beauty like Eliza, but it you know, and there was a recent incident in the news of a suicide of a young, I think she was a miss teen, or yes, um, it, uh, devastating yeah. to me. There's so much suicide out there right now, oh, and she, yeah. um, I don't didn't know her, but you know, and that happened just recently and the novel was written. But I've been thinking a lot and looking at our culture now where American culture is obsessed with youth and beauty, you know, which fades. The Bible has a lot to say about, you know, the unfading beauty of a, you know, gentle and quiet spirit, which has nothing to do with one's looks. And I found that Eliza really was the woman of our times today. And I think beauty was very valued then too. Um, Mm -hmm. But it, you know, I wanted, it was interesting to bring a character through a huge loss um, of not only her looks, but someone dear to her. And that kind of shattering realigns your priorities. And, you know, I think the pandemic has done that for a lot of us, because it's not Mm -hmm. going away. And a lot of things have happened, like your own loss during the pandemic that wasn't pandemic related. But, you know, we're all having to reevaluate these false idols um, Mm -hmm. in our culture, because they're just there's nothing to them. You know they don't last, they don't satisfy, they they don't fulfill you. They're just it's sand.
0: Yeah, that's so true. It's and it really does when you when you come face to face with loss or grief and we've had other in the past couple of weeks we've had other no one as close as my sister but just right. people that we know just pass away from COVID or from a car accident. And it's just, oh, it's you dangerous. think like, why do I even care about how I look or my weight? It's right. not important.
1: <laughs> it's not. It's, you know, you said it well. I mean, those things are, I I think the enemy of our souls wants us to be obsessed with that. And mm-hmm. because it's just, it's, it's just all lies. Um, you know, we to keep our focus off Christ. And so I wanted in the novel to turn Eliza's focus off the temporal to the eternal and to give her kind of a her own story within that story. And to mm-hmm. have her triumph at the end in her own way. She's got a long way to go, but mm-hmm. you know, and I'm actually going to bring her back in the novel I'm writing now. Oh, Um, yay. Yeah, as a secondary character. So you'll see more of a change. You have to wait a couple of years uh, reading Friends, but um, she'll be back and as a secondary character. So it'll be fun to see, you know, that the story I'm writing now that includes her is on Mm -hmm. that same French and Indian War timeline
0: and the Acadian history too. Right. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. Is that, that's not your next book. That's the one coming out in. Right. Go ahead.
1: The next book is the Scottish novel. It's no coming to America. And this one, like in about a bound heart. Um, mm. This Scottish novel is based on my ancestors, my Humes the, of Wedderburn. Oh. Uh that history that I touched upon briefly in a bound heart, but this mm-hmm. novel takes place entirely. in. it actually begins in France And then it moves to England and then Scotland. So the majority of the book is set in Scotland. So that releases next January and titling and cover and process now. And then the Acadian novel is the January after that. So let's see where that would be January, 2024 for the Acadian. And wow. Yeah. I'm it's, I'm usually three books ahead of readers, which can be, kind of a challenge sometimes because you've left the novel that just came out long behind. (laughs) Three books ahead. But that's but it's fun to revisit.
0: Yeah. So if I had to remind myself of um a heart adrift before we talked, I'm sure you did too.
1: (laughs) You probably know more (laughs) know more about it than I do at this point. (laughs) I just, Yeah, it's definitely Uh in my rear view mirror, but it's, it's very dear to me. And I've been, um, you know, it's fun to keep it fresh, because it is, it's, you know, new, just out there and reviews are coming in. And I'm um, just enjoying that part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful novel. So can you tell me anything else about um, either the Scottish novel or the Acadian one in, in the future?
1: Well, you know, the Scottish novel I just turned in. In fact, I am i can't wait to see the cover for this one, but the, which will probably mm. won't be done until May or June. Um, I love this story. It I took all my Hume history that I know because I'm the sixth great, you know, sixth great-granddaughter, and I – took all the Hume history that our family has and I kind of put it in a box and shook it up and then selected things. I mean, I even put medieval history in this novel and tweaked it to fit the 18th century. The novel opens in 1715, which was uh, one of the Jacobite risings, which is complicated history. But so it's centered, it it opens um, in spring, and then it goes through Christmas of 1715. So that was a new year for me. You know, you were on an old calendar, even the calendar that they used at that time didn't even, doesn't even exist now. So you're, you're dealing with different, different calendar, you know, different country, different yes. political system in play. It was fascinating. Um and I'm going to go to Scotland coming up in May, Lord oh, Heaven, and so I'm excited. I'm going to actually be on the site of my ancestors at Wedderburn Castle, so it'll be mm. very interesting, I think.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And then the occasion um,
1: novel is, you know, the January after that, and I have 100 pages written, probably because mm. I've been off the internet for 11 days, but... Yeah, <laughs> I guess that I will. But anyway, um, it's going well. But I there there is a caveat to that. I'm, I'm not Canadian. I have Canadian mm-hmm. author friends. And I think they, you know, it's hard to write a story. It's uh, that history is so heartbreaking, the Acadian expulsion, that it's hard yes, to yes. even begin to touch it or do it justice. I'm so I'm actually only I'm limiting myself to my Acadian heroine um, to about 125 pages in the novel that's actually takes place in Acadia, which is present day Nova Scotia. So, and then Mm -hmm. I move, you know, they were expelled to the colonies and other parts. So I move her to one of the colonies and then the rest of the, the novel is set there, but I'm having to do a lot of, lot of research, which is, I like research and that's good because it's a huge topic that was hidden for many years. And, Mm -hmm. and now is, you know, we can keep that history, I guess, bring it, honor it in a way through fiction.
0: Absolutely. Um, Perhaps you want to share with my listeners, the fiction books that you mentioned.
1: Yes. In fact, Genevieve Graham, uh, Rachel McMillan, who is a Canadian author? Mm. You may have yes. heard of her. Um, she has written a, a novel. I mean, she's Canadian. She's written a novel called "Promises to Keep" by Genevieve Graham. It the the covers just a uh, to die for cover for me. You've got a British soldier and this mm. lovely kind of homespun Acadian woman on the cover. Um, actual. It looks like actual models. It's just just beautiful. So this is, it takes place the summer 1755 in Acadia and tr- tells the story basically of a, a, a Acadian woman and the British soldier that she meets. And then the other novel is also written by an Acadian and it's titled Jean Dugas of Acadian. it's a novel by Cassie DeVoe Cahoon. And... I, you know, both of them are absolute treasures. I think, you know, not only for the research that you do, it it helps to have fiction in there too, especially from Canadians themselves.
0: Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, I became interested. um, My youngest child is named Evangeline.
1: Oh, yes, like the poem. (laughs) uh,
0: Yes, like the poem uh, all about Acadia and the expulsion. And um, so that's when I started to kind of think more about it. And when when she was born and we named her Evangeline. That's um, beautiful. Well, we call her Eva all the time. So when people find out that's her her full name, they're always surprised.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's so lovely. And it's so unique. Plus, it's kind of, you know, it's a way to honor that history, too, I think.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and so I've wanted to look into it more for some time. And I just, my son had to do a report (laughs) on the Akkadian Empire. And I, I, he didn't say the Akkadian Empire, he said the Akkadians. So I assumed he was talking about the Canadian Acadians, oh, right. but he wasn't he was talking about the ancient Empire of Acadian which is spelled of Acadia which is spelled differently right but once we got his research I actually I got the wrong books from the library for him and then he said this is not right mom this oh, is but
1: not. you're the best mom for doing that <laughs> I mean,
0: well but then I kept I kept the books I got him and I oh. got him to, or, or we got together went and got the right books okay. but I kept the ones about Acadia, oh, the Canadian,
1: (laughs) for myself to read. Interest, oh, yes, it is fascinating and heart so heartbreaking.
0: Yes, it is. I was I was shocked. I just didn't realize how awful it was until I started reading that book.
1: No, it's almost beyond belief. It's so terrible Mm -hmm. that another nation could do that. And I will say, um, my own thought after researching it you know it's not been too long a few months now is that the british empire did that um and then they were humbled by george washington and the colonies and i thought Mm -hmm. you know their pride goeth before a fall was interesting Mm -hmm. that they had done that with the acadians and then they themselves were suffered a major defeat um, yes,
0: you know oh, that I, is interesting.
1: It is. It's interesting to think about the history and the timeline there. You know, if you're a Christian, you know that pride is a terrible thing, and you can't. Yes, what you do unto others comes back to you. So anyway, but uh, those novels are definitely. If you're interested in the Acadian fiction, I'm sad that there's not more out there. And but there
0: will be, there will be well, yours, and with maybe ours, eventually I'll, out. I will write a book.
1: <laughs> oh, we both will get ours out there, and then, um, I, yeah, I'm still on the hunt for any Acadian fiction. So if anybody has any ideas, I'd love to hear them.
0: Yeah, yes, me too. So this is a question I ask all my guests, and you may remember it from last time. So I don't know if your answer will be. The same, though. Yes. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present?
1: Well, you know, I think that we can learn lessons from the past. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't need to do the revisionist history. We don't need to tear the statues down like is happening now. Um, I don't, don't tend to keep up with that, but I know what's going on. I think we need to learn from our history and learn from our mistakes. It's mm-hmm. you know, like the Bible's boundary stones. You know, you 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 leave markers to see where you've been, either so you yes. can memorialize and remember in a good way, or that you won't do that again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we it, just history is wonderfully informative of the present, but I'm a shocked continually by how historically illiterate. People are, I don't know if that's true of other countries, but in America, it's, there's just a real deficit with people losing touch with their roots and, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't know the names or the locations or they don't know where they came from or they don't seem, they don't seem to uh, be that interested, which is very sad to me. And we have sites like Colonial Williamsburg and other, other places, Yes. Keep that history alive, and actually have homeschool days for homeschoolers and and other you know public schools, private schools, bringing kids in to try to reverse that. But mm-hmm. it's just you know pay attention to our history. It it teaches us many things, and I guess that's my little soapbox there.
0: <laughs> yes, well, and you are so familiar with the colonial. Time period that I'm sure, when you mention something and no one's, or if right. you're talking to someone and and they don't rem, don't know about it, that's probably right. Just flabbergasting sure. to you,
1: right? And I'm no expert, but it is amazing. I probably know a little bit more than a lot of people simply because I write I so. it. But um, I'm I am amazed at how. I think what bothers me the most, it's not the ignorance about it. It's just that people just don't care. They don't, mm-hmm. they're not interested yeah. in it. And to me, that's, of course, they don't have to be, people don't have to be interested in, you know, what I'm interested in. But it just, to me, is kind of a sad. I also think it's a statement about what we value and mm-hmm. history is not valued. And right. our founding fathers and mothers just aren't valued. They're not valued they are you know, we don't look much to the past. We're all ups- focused on the future and some often the wrong priorities, as we were talking about earlier.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's true. Well, Laura, this has been another wonderful conversation. Oh. Uh, what is what is the best way for listeners to follow you?
1: You know, I have a newsletter that I send seasonally that I work you know, hard on and try to make it as fun and informative and and pretty to mm-hmm. look at. So, if you go to my website, laurafrance.net, dot net, my n- newsletter box for signups is on the bottom of that uh, landing page or home, home page. And then mm-hmm. I'm active on Facebook, my author page, laurafrance France Author, and then Instagram. I love Instagram. I don't mm-hmm. do interest as much anymore, but it. Has boards for all my books, and if you want a little more if you want kind of an illustrated version of my books, go to Pinterest and look up you know each novel is is titled by my book and just brings yeah. it up for you and you can you know have kind of a visual representation oh, that's neat. yeah of the novel so thank you for asking. I love connecting with readers and however they find me it's always a a miracle and a blessing. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Laura.
1: Oh, it was such an honor. I look forward to, to next time.
0: Well, friends, I always love chatting with Laura. She is just a delight and her books are just as delightful as she is. And you can find her books through the show notes. I have links to her books and to her website, to Laura's website, Um, which you can always find the show notes at com slash blog or you may be able to find them right in your podcatcher, but whatever you do, check out those show notes because there are links to Laura's, um, Laura's books, Laura's website and her social media. And then also there will be links to ways you can connect with me. So let me leave you today with a quote because this book was about a chocolatier and a privateer. um, but the chocolatier really was um, fascinating to read about. And so I want to leave you with a short quote by Joe Brand, who said, anything is good if it's made of chocolate. And that goes for this book as well. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends, and I will talk to you again next week.